Matthew chapter 22. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready. But those invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, we pray for peace in the world, especially in the Holy Land, in Ukraine, and everywhere else where there is conflict. Help us to be peacemakers. In your name we pray. Amen. So the parable we just read similar to the one we studied last week, has a not-so-good history of misinterpretation. I am sad to tell you that this parable is often interpreted in a very anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish lens. And I think it's important to name it so that we can disavow it and talk about what its real meaning is. Because surely you will run into people that will try to tell you that it, that it suggests an anti-Jewish meaning. So let me tell you how that interpretation goes so that we can disavow it. It is interpreted that the king is supposed to be God and throws a wedding banquet for his son, which is said to be Jesus. And those who were invited to the wedding banquet, again, it is, some have said, are supposed to be the Jewish people. And in the parable, the people don't go to the wedding. Instead, they beat up the slaves and invite them, and they, they don't go. So the king gets mad, God, and punishes all those who didn't go to the wedding feast burns their city to the ground. 
So again, this anti-Semitic interpretation is said to be the destruction of the temple in the year 60, in the current era, A.D., as God's divine punishment for Jesus not being accepted in Jerusalem. And then as the parable goes on, the king invites a diverse, eclectic group of people, both good and bad, which supposedly represent the Gentiles, non-Jews, and they go. But then one person is found to not be wearing a wedding robe. You know, something like this. And again, this misinterpretation says that's the one who isn't baptized. The one who just shows up and thinks that they're good enough on their own. They don't need God's grace. And that one is thrown into hell. This is an interpretation you'll hear, sad to say, more commonly than it really should be. It's really a fearful-based, hateful theology. And I mention it to you today to say we need to set it aside and say this is not what the word of God means. If we believe God punishes those who do not accept Christ, then what would stop us from punishing non-Christians and thinking that we're doing the will of God? It's happened far too much in history. We don't need to do it anymore. The Jewish faith and Jewish people are legitimate and they are and they practice a respectable worthy expression of faith they are our brothers and sisters of God similarly Muslim people and the Islamic religion is also legitimate and is also a worthy expression of faith. Together, Christians, Jews, and Muslims are the three monotheistic faiths, the people of the book. And we need to live together in peace. So here's another interpretation of the parable. The king in this parable is not God, but a king, just like Jesus says. And kings and governments throughout history sometimes let their power go to their head. They have, at times, unchecked coercive power expressed under different names. The people who don't go to the banquet are people who resist unjust and coercive power. They don't like this king for what this king has done, and they don't want to participate. And so the king punishes them by violent means, which again we have seen throughout history and even today. So the one who goes to the wedding feast but does not wear a robe is none other than Jesus. Jesus is the one that goes to the wedding feast but doesn't put on the robe as a protest, as to say, we have to go, we don't have a choice, but I don't accept your illegitimate rule. I don't accept your coercive power that keeps you on the throne. And I protest it. And that's exactly what Jesus did in his life. That's what he did in Jerusalem. And in fact, they specifically criticized him because he didn't have a robe. And they put a purple robe on him 
And they laughed at him, and they mocked him, and they bound him hand and foot, and they cast him into the outer darkness, and they crucified him until he was in so much agony and pain that he gnashed his teeth and wept. Jesus is the one who was kicked out of the banquet because he didn't comply. He challenged the religious and the political thinking of the time that he was in. Friends, sisters and brothers in the faith, we are presently in a moment in history where thousands of people, innocent people, have been dying in the Holy Land, in Israel and in Palestine. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. What does this mean? It means that we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus by building trust and working for peace and justice. The few who are chosen are those who are in positions of leadership who bear the responsibility of protecting, protecting life and people. Justice is for all people, and it is the key to peace for seeing God. St. Paul writes to us in uh, Philippians this morning that one of the keys to peace is joy, to be happy. He says, alegrense, alegrense in Spanish. You have to be happy. And sometimes that's hard when we turn on the news and we see the things that we see and we worry about so many problems. How can we be happy? How can we find joy? But we have to. We have to find things that make us smile and give us joy and give us hope so that we can keep going. We have to find joy and be generous and smile so that we attract people and together we can share in fellowship and have hope and peace. The other night our family was having dinner. We were sitting around the table and it was quiet for a moment. And right when it was quiet and there was a lull in the conversation, a strange noise came from down the hall. It went, a door slowly opened. And I got a surprised look on my face. And all the children saw me and they went, and they jumped up from their chairs and they ran behind me from where I was sitting so that the hallway was over there and I was here. And they were huddled up behind me, kind of pushing my chair forward. And I have to say, it felt kind of good to know that in their moment of fear and anxiety, that they trusted, they trusted me that much to protect them. So of course, I got up to go down the hall and investigate. All the doors were closed except for one that was ajar. And I looked in and I saw the cat, the cat cat opened the door and looked at me. It was just the cat. And when I turned around, I saw two of the boys in the hallway with plastic swords and shields following behind me. And they went, oh, it's just the cat. Talk about a first world problem. <laughs> the biggest thing that scares us is a cat creaking a door. And then you think about what people are really facing all over the world. But you know, it tells you 
that no matter who you are or how old you are or how young you are, there's, there's really just kind of one thing we all want, and it's to feel safe. We all want to feel safe and secure. And we need to practice the long, slow process of building trust that we would protect each other and preserve peace. Take, for example, Isaiah 25, this great prophecy of Isaiah. How are we to understand it? It says that God would turn the fortified city into ruins. How long will we equate destruction with God? It says that strong people will glorify you. And remember that when Jesus was glorified, he was glorified on the cross. It means that no, no, no matter of sophisticated technology can keep us safe. No amount of power can keep you from being vulnerable. We all are vulnerable. It says that God has been a refuge to the poor and God is a refuge to those who are in need or in distress. And we look around the world and we see so many innocent people suffering. And we think, where's God? We're God. It's up to us. The point is that despite so much suffering, whenever refuge is given, whenever relief is given, then there is God. When violence is put to a, a stop and put to a rest, then we see God. On this mountain, on Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, Isaiah said that there will be a feast for all people. For Jews, for Muslims, for Christians, for Baha'i, for Buddhists, for Hindus, for atheists. All nations will live peacefully one day on God's holy mountain. Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, Russia, Syria, Turkey, Iran, Pakistan, India, China, the United States, of course, and many more. God's promise for peace is for all nations. On the holy mountain, Isaiah says that God will destroy death and war forever. It is our collective responsibility to create peace in the world and in the Holy Land. We are presently covered with a shroud of death and shame. Our shame will be lifted when we demand and realize peace and an end to war. And on that day when it happens, we will say, as Isaiah prophesied, Lo, here is our God. Amen. Please stand as you are able, and we sing our hymn of the day.